everybody. How you doing? Awesome. My name's Eric, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's been uh, a few months since I've been able to share with you guys uh, in this capacity, and I'm really grateful and excited to be able to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about um, this thing called authenticity. Uh, but I want to start tonight by kind of uh, seeing what you guys know about, about culture, or at least culture that I like. So we're gonna, I'm going to put a picture up here. I want you guys to tell me. Does anybody know who this is? <laughs> That's a good start, Rebecca, but I'm not giving you full credit on that. Thank you. Exactly. Who is Don Draper? Don Draper, Mad Men. Um, played by an actor by the name of John Hamm. Mad Men is a show on AMC. It's been on for four seasons now. It's garnered a ton of awards for excellence in television. Um, everything from just like their attention to detail, because it takes place as a period piece. It's kind of like very late 1950s to kind of mid-60s. But um, I was watching the show recently, and it struck me that in some ways uh, the show is very much about this idea of authenticity. Because it's filled with all these guys that kind of work at an advertising agency. And it's about their kind of shenanigans, if you will, um, and about the way they kind of change who they are according to basically where they are about how you can have a guy like, like Don who can be a compassionate and tender-hearted and caring father and husband in one scene. And then when he goes out with his buddies from work, he becomes like a binge-drinking, womanizing person of the worst sort. And everybody else in the show is seemingly like that as well. You know, like, like they're one way with their families, they're another way with their coworkers. And I like the show in a sense because of that, because it shows people in all their complexity, because I think, truth be told, we're not always the same person from scene to scene to scene of our lives. Um, but there's another reason that it really spoke to me. In a really a recent episode, I think it was two weeks ago, um, Don was, was talking to a person, and, and his story is the most interesting one of the lot, because he's actually changed his identity and we find this out through flashbacks in the show, that his name wasn't always Don Draper. He was born with a completely different identity, a completely different station of life. And then somewhere along the way, he got the opportunity to inhabit a new identity, took over a guy named Don Draper's life, and changed everything about him, and uh, becomes like this big-time advertising executive. But in the course of the show, his wife discovers his secret, that, oh my gosh, the man I'm married to is not the person I thought he was, literally. And she leaves him. And Don is, is interacting with somebody who knew, him from, who knew him from his first identity, okay? And he was talking to, her, to this person about his wife, and he said, you know something? I always knew that if she knew who I really was, she would never accept me. And like the sort of red flags kind of went off in my head. And I'm just like, at its essence, at its core, this is our struggle with authenticity. This is the question that we always ask ourselves or the statement we always tell ourselves. If this person, my friend, my pastor, 
my family member, if they knew who I really was, I knew I know they will not accept me. And so that kind of is, is, is the way, uh, just kind of something that has been going on in my life that really spoke to me. And um, what I want to do now is just kind of take a moment and pray um, uh, so for the rest of our time. So if you guys would, would join me, I'd like to open up with a word. God, um, I pray that during the remainder of this time that you would reign in this place. I thank you for... Uh, people who have journeyed here from all over the faith map, people from close, from very close to you to maybe some folks who are very far from you right now, God. And I pray that this building is safe because you are here and is sacred because you are here. And I pray that you remain with us, God, and teach us and draw us to yourself. We love you. Amen. Well, about six months ago, uh, the staff kind of took a couple days away. And during those days away, we kind of sat down and we asked ourselves, what are, what are concepts that we would like to describe E3? What do we feel is true about E3 that make it a very unique place? And so we, we took, I mean, hours upon hours of discussion. And out of that discussion really came the, the, the things that make up the iCharge acronym. These concepts of, um, we believe that E3 is called to be an intention, a place where people live their lives intentionally. A place that embraces current culture. A place that is hospitable to strangers and to friends. A place that is authentic. A place that believes in, in navigating the relational space of a person. A place that will be filled with grace-filled people. And finally, a place where people believe in excellence in ministry. And so uh, we landed on those seven things as kind of describers of our community. But they're not just describers. Because we believe those things are true about E3. And simultaneously, we believe that we are called to do more and more and more of all of those things. So to, to whatever degree we are intentional right now, we are called to remain intentional and become more intentional, both as a community and as uh, individuals. And so... Um, what I want to do for just a second right here is read the value statement that we came up with, as, uh, with authenticity. We sat around in another room and kind of came up with a, a paragraph that we thought described what we wanted to be as an authentic community. And I thought it would be cool if we just read it together as sort of a corporate promise to each other. It's in the devotionals, but we're going to put it up on the screen and I would just invite you guys to read these words with me. Let's do it. We will settle for nothing less than authentic community, a place where you can truly be yourself without fear of rejection. We believe your past failures, when given to God, can be used as a conduit of his love and mercy to a lost and hurting world. By being a real place for real people, we encourage everyone to be honest about where they've been, where they are, and where they want to go on their faith journey. The more willing we are to engage honestly with God, ourselves, and each other, the more deeply we are able to experience God's love, and the more richly we are able to love one another. Uh, our hope and prayer is that uh, 
maybe we would return to these words regularly as individuals and as a community to clarify this is what we're talking about. When we throw these concepts around, this is what we want. This is the target we are aiming at. So tonight what I want to do is just kind of unpack authenticity and unpack some of the pitfalls um, that are associated with it. First of all, I was having a conversation with Dan Durenberger uh, this week And he pointed out to me that there is a whole school of philosophical thought around authenticity. That there's an actual school that that, uh, people from different different disciplines, philosophy, psychology, and and different um, social sciences would say uh, they study this thing called authenticity. And the best I could kind of distill all the definitions I saw would be to say that authenticity is when something is consistent with what it is meant to be and what it's meant to do. So what I mean by that, has anyone ever seen the show like Antique Roadshow on PBS? A couple of people, all right, so it's like concept is these guys sit around these appraisers and people bring like really old stuff to them and say, you know, I think I've got a really old ashtray and I hope it's worth a million dollars so I never have to work again. And so they, they bring it to these guys and the, and the, the appraisers are, are experts in this area. And they study how this object lines up with what people are claiming about it. And so they put it through any manner of tests so that they can say yes or no. You have an authentic antique. It is what it is claimed to be. Because of everything that we know about it, it's genuine. It's a genuine article. As far as purpose goes... Uh, the best I could kind of describe that is like if you had sort of a handheld you know, device and it had a bunch of numbers on it and some plus signs and minus signs and if you punch those numbers and hit some plus signs and minus signs and then it spat out some kind of answer that looked like math, you would say you have an authentic calculator. But if you tried to press the numbers and all that came up on the screen was letters, and if you tried to press the additions or the subtraction signs and it didn't do math, could you say that you had an authentic calculator? It was not consistent with its intended purpose. So that's kind of in a broad sense like what we're talking about with authenticity. Something that is exactly what it claims to be and does exactly what it's meant to do. And on human terms, I would put it this way, that authenticity for a human being is living a genuine, honest, open life. So if you claim to be, you know, a 22-year-old, just graduated psychology major, that is who you are. Sort of at a very base level, that's what we're talking about. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus or claim to not be a follower of Jesus, that that would be true of you. So that's what we're talking about. But I have a hunch that most of us understand what this thing called authenticity is. And we understand what it means to live an open, honest life. But understanding something doesn't always make it easy to do, does it? And so there are these kind of ways that we can get sideways with authenticity. And the first way that uh, I've found that maybe we can get kind of off track is is when sometimes when authenticity is unrestrained. Maybe this has happened to you sometimes where you've gone, in, uh, gone up and introduced yourself to somebody. You know, hello, my name's Eric. How are you today? And like 25 minutes later, 
you are still receiving like a monologue of this person's life and how uh, their history teacher was mean to them in, in high school and they have unruly kids and they have a strange medical condition in some place that you really didn't want to hear about. And you walk away from those encounters sometime and you're like, what just happened? Like, I don't even know if I remember that person's name because it was like 25 minutes ago. And there's a sense of that when we are called to be authentic, we are also called to exercise a certain amount of wisdom and decision-making with what we share, when we share it, and who we share it with. It's very, very easy to just kind of walk up to somebody and spill everything that's going on in your life. But sometimes you need to ask yourself the question, Am I in a position where this person can speak back to me about what I've just told them? Am I in a position where I can be challenged on what I've just said? Because a lot of times we say things just to get it off our chest and then we want to walk away and be done with it. And I want to suggest to you tonight that that maybe that's not the best use of authentic community. You know, and uh, I have kind of a strange relationship with the, the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs is just filled with statements that I can imagine like my mother or father saying to me as like a 10-year-old boy, hey, don't do this. And I'm like, isn't there some wiggle room? Isn't there some negotiations on this? And Proverbs is like, no. So um, in the 13th chapter of Proverbs, the third verse, the writer writes this. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. It's like, thank you, book of Proverbs. And a lot of times we read a statement like that and we say, yes, you know, um, you know, running off my mouth, kind of talking badly behind somebody's back, um, maybe exercising like not so much discipline when we like speak, maybe profanity or something like that. Yes, that's how we think about controlling our tongues. But there's this other theme that runs through scriptures that says, think about the way you use your words when you are sharing your life, that not everybody in the world is, I would say, maybe deserving of the things that trouble your spirit, and that wisdom is uh, a great thing to exercise in communication, and we see this even in Jesus's life. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus in the gospel, he's got these two guys or three guys that are really his closest friends closest disciples. Their names are typically Peter, James, and John. And these are the two or the three, and, and they walk with him through the most challenging parts of his ministry and the most challenging parts of his life. And then he's got this next circle out where the, the gospel calls the 12. He's 12 followers. And then after that, there's a group called the disciples that numbers anywhere between maybe 150 to 500 people. We're not really sure. But these are people that followed his teachings, followed him around and listened to what he said, but they were not the 12, and they were definitely not the two or the three. And then the Gospels say that everybody after that was called the mob. Now, the, the, the thing that I want to point out to you is this. The things that Jesus shared with the two or the three or the 12 were not the same things that he shared with the mob. Jesus went through a time uh, in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane where he was at the most critical point of his ministry. And his, uh, the Bible says his soul was being crushed. And he shared uh, just that he needed help. 
And he didn't share it with the mob. And he didn't share it with his disciples. He shared it with the two, the three, the twelve. And so uh, authenticity requires a certain amount of restraint to be exercised in a healthy way in a community. But I would also suggest to you that most of us don't have a problem with that. That in a room like this and in a community like this and in a world like this, that most of us would have a problem with the opposite end of authenticity. And that is that sometimes authenticity is unrealized. That most of us would say, my problem is not so much that I share too much. It's that I walk around with things inside my spirit that I don't want anybody else to know about. That I'm a little bit scared of what might happen. And, and, and what Don Draper said to the person in Mad Men would be the same thing I would say. If they knew who I was, they would never accept me. And I think that's probably where a lot of us live from day to day. And so I want to speak a couple things to you. In the book of 1 John, the writer is writing about the love of God. And he just writes this. That such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. But what's going on there is that most of us would think that the opposite of love is hate. But what this verse gets at is that maybe the opposite of love is, is as much fear. And that to, that to the degree that we are afraid of sharing our souls and our lives with each other and with God, there's a theme of uh, that, that, that God's love is not reaching that, that part of our life. Um, unrealized authenticity typically flows from two places. It either flows from a sense of guilt or a sense of hurt. Guilt is very simple. That, that things we've done in the past would say, I can't, I can't tell anybody this. I, I don't want people to know that some of the things I've done at 3 a.m. are not the same things I would do at 3 p.m. And I, I want to be very careful here because uh, I believe that my God is immensely powerful. But I'm also, uh, I've walked this, this, this world a, a few years, and I want to say that, like, maybe the words that I'm speaking here it's not necessarily going to bring people to a, a conclusion of this area of their lives. Sometimes fear takes a long time to get over. But here's what I want to tell you. That in a community that is based around the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I believe this is one of those communities, that guilt has no place in it. That no matter what you've done, this man Jesus stands there and says, I can take it. I can take it. I've seen it all. There's a Dutch theologian by the guy, a uh, uh, name of Edward Schillebeeks, and, and he put it in a way that I can't really outdo. He says this, that if Jesus sat at your dining room table tonight with full knowledge of everything you are and are not, 
If he laid out your whole life story with the hidden agenda and the dark desires unknown even to yourself, this is awesome, it would still be impossible to be saddened in his presence. How did you catch that? Because most of the time we would go, if Jesus sat with us, yes, he, I know that he would accept me because that's what Jesus does. He's a, he's a rarely accepting God. But the writer actually writes this, that not only would Jesus accept it, but it would be impossible for us to be sad in his presence, even knowing that he knew everything about us. And that is the type of community that we may not be all the way there yet, but that's the community, that's the line in the sand that E3 is drawing that said this is a Jesus community. And if you have guilt, we will hear your story without a hammer behind our back waiting, without a, a finger that's going to point at you. The other, uh, the other way that, that unrestrained authenticity is, is manifests itself or, or comes out is because of a sense of hurt. So maybe, maybe you've been... Uh, maybe you're in this room tonight and you're like, well, yes, I mean, there are maybe some things I've done, but really, I'm afraid because of things that have been done to me. And the things that have been done to me have caused me to be afraid and not to trust. And they've caused me to feel bad about myself. And, and, and I have no basis for this except that some people did things or showed me things or said things that should never have been said to anybody. And again, a lot of this stuff takes a long journey to get through with friends and pastors and counselors. But my word to you tonight is that I would challenge you sometime to get alone with yourself and to let the words uh, flow through your heart and your mind that you are radically loved by Jesus. And no matter what shame or hurt is operating in your life. That we are to define ourselves as the beloved of God. And let everything else flow from those places. So, to kind of, to kind of transition, I, I, would, I would sum up this with maybe three questions that we need to ask ourselves constantly as a community. And that's the, the first question is, have I shared too much? Have I exercised wisdom and discipline with my relationships? Have I shared too little? Are there risks that I'm going to have to take to tell people things that I've never shared before? And then finally, because this whole thing relies on all of us, not just the staff here. Have I offered others room and space to be authentic with me? Have I gone to people that, that seem to be troubled and said, are you okay? Just tell me your story. I'm not going to speak. You tell me your story. Because that's the way authenticity grows up in a community. Not by the staff just kind of getting up and talking about it. And not by us taking you out to coffee and go, well, how are you this week? We all have to carry this load in order for that statement that we all read together at the beginning to be true. But it doesn't stop there, because authenticity also does not limit or define us. And what I mean by this is that, have you ever known somebody who's really, really authentic, almost annoyingly authentic, almost somebody who can just go, yeah, I got an anger problem, that's who I am, I'm just being authentic. 
And you're like, man, authenticity. Wish it wasn't a value. Um, has anybody ever known anybody like that? That you're just like, what do I do with this person? Authenticity says, I am who I am. Authenticity says I'm being consistent with what I'm, in, I'm supposed to be and my purpose in this world. I am who I am. But here's the deal. Some of who I am is pretty broken. Some of who I am is not perfect. I can be a little grumpy sometimes. Ask anybody on staff. It's not enough for me to just, get, to just say, I am who I am, just being authentic. Don't talk to me today, I'm just saying. Because here's the deal. We don't define ourselves. We, we are trying to be consistent with our intended purpose and our intended identity. But guess what? Our intended purpose and our intended identity has been given to us already. In the very beginning of the Bible, in the first few pages, the book of Genesis says this, then God said, let us make human beings in our, what? To be like us. Do you know what your intended purpose is? Do you know what your intended identity is? You are an image bearer of the creator of the universe. So you are who you are, but you are also simultaneously who God says you are. And we live in this tension constantly of like, I'm just being authentic. Yes, yes, but some of your authenticity is way out of whack with God's purpose. And we need to be able to acknowledge ourselves that the point is not to be authentic. The point is to be image bearers of the creator of the universe. A guy named Paul wrote a book to a church in Rome. And he gets at this in really, really amazing ways. He writes in the sixth chapter... We know that our old sinful selves, stick with me, were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were what? Set from the power of sin. What's going on there in that scripture is that Paul is using language that is very, very important for him because Paul was a Jew. And if you know the story of the Jews at all, they spent hundreds of years as what? Slaves. And their story was that God came around and through an amazing act of redemption set them free for essentially just get out of Egypt. Go, be free. I'm redeeming my people. And so Paul is using some of this language to say, remember that story of slavery? Remember how once we were slaves and that was our only identity? We are what we are. But then God says, no, no, no. You're something much more than what you think you are. You've been set free. You're no longer that person. You can't reckon yourself a slave anymore. You have to reckon yourself free, considering yourself free. He goes on to kind of sum up at least one part of his thinking in this chapter that says, so you should also consider yourselves dead to the power of sin. And alive to God through Christ Jesus. In other words, authenticity isn't, isn't enough. You're not just who you are. You're not just a slave. You're not a slave at all. No matter what you think, 
that I'll never change, that I'll never get over this anger, that I'll never get over this problem of this addiction or this compulsion, and I just want to be honest about it and tell, and God says, no, no, there was always a promise of hope. There was always a promise because you are no longer what you think you are. The word that he uses there, consider, some translations would say reckon. It's a word that is associated with mathematics and accounting in the ancient world. Because a lot of us would go, but I don't really feel that way, right? I don't feel free. I kind of feel like a jerk. I kind of feel like a failure. And what Paul is saying in a real subtle way there is that, guess what? It's not about your feelings. It's a math problem. You don't turn in a math problem that says 2 plus 2 equals 56 because that's the way I feel today. It is 2 plus 2 equals 4. It doesn't matter about your feelings. God says it's as simple as a math equation. It's black or white. You're no longer slave. The future is wide open. And what God wants to make out of you is an image bearer. Not just an authentic person. So as we live out authenticity, we do not make it into a God. We do not settle to say, this is as good as it's going to get. Deal with my grumpiness or give me more coffee. It don't work that way. God says there's always more. There's always another step. There's always hope. There's always change. Because your intended purpose is an image bearer. We bring the, the slide of, of uh, the statue up. This is, a, this is a statue called a kouros, K-O-U-R-O-S. It's, it's a label for a category of Greek statues. So there are many, many kouroses that have been discovered in the ancient world. And uh, it's basically, it, it symbolizes, it's a statue of a male usually nude, which is why I got a profile shot. Um, And they've been discovered all over. And they're worth money because they're ancient. They're really, really old. Some people approached the J. Paul Getty Museum in in Los Angeles with one of these statues that was an amazing specimen. It was whole. It had a really unique sheen to it. And they said, we want to sell this. Look, we've got paperwork that says this is who we've bought it from. It's It's a legitimate archaeological find. The J. Paul Getty Museum said, we'll take it, get the checkbook out. But before they sign the checkbook, they have, to, they have to put it through some tests, right? Because you don't want to just buy anything if you're a museum. So they, they take it to the labs, and they look for mineral deposits on the stone that would indicate how old it is within a very vague range. And the, and the lab results come back, and they're like, well, we don't know how old it is, but it's old. Like the mineral deposits have come back that this is at least a few hundred years old. Awesome. Uh, They examine the paperwork. This person bought it from this person. This person's got a good reputation. This person bought it from this person. We think this is legit. So they get ready to write the check. $10 million they're going to pay for this. Except for there's kind of two problems. And the two problems are that two experts walked into the room and took one look at that, and uh, the book I was reading said that within two seconds, they looked at the officials of the museum and said, uh, you're not buying that, are you? And they're like, well, we intended to. And they're like, 
it's a fake. And they were like, but, but the lab says, but, but the paperwork says, and they're like, no, it's a fake. And they're like, well, how do you know? And they're like, we just know. We're experts in this. We deal with it all the time. We see these all the time. It's a fake. These are renowned experts, so they go back and guess what they find? It's a fake. That the people who knew the most about these things looked at it and instantly said, it ain't real. I don't care what it's claiming to be. It's not the truth. I tell you this story because there's a whole other aspect of authenticity that we need to consider. And that is the fact that there is a world of people out there. Some of them who we might have images of when we pray or some of them that we might know very intimately that are looking at us the way the experts looked at that statue. And those people, not only can they spot a fake from a million miles away and usually very, very quickly, the thing is is that they don't want to see a fake. There's a world of people out there that desperately want to see somebody who is living out exactly what they've been called to be and exactly what they've been called to do. The, gospel, uh, the, the, the Bible talks about the gospel in a lot of different ways. Um, some of us grew up in an age where like it was the four spiritual laws and a tract and a little kind of like canyon illustration and the cross was over the canyon and it was awesome. But God has an infinitely bigger imagination. The scriptures talk about sometimes the gospel is, uh, is as if we were letters written from God to the world. Sometimes it talks about the fact that we are the aroma of Christ to the world that is hurting. So the world is looking around and it's like, wait a minute, something smells like really good barbecue. And the world wants to sense that. And in my favorite, there's times over and over again in Scripture where, where God kind of says, I need to tell my story. So you know what you got to do? You got to blow the trumpet. You got to play the drum. You got to sing some songs. And I got to thinking that, what if the gospel was a song that's being sung? And what if authenticity is like the best song of the gospel that could be sung? One of my favorite singers said that a soul singer has nothing to do with the color of your skin, nothing to do with the genre of music you sing. A soul singer is a person that decides to reveal who they are rather than conceal who they are. And I got to thinking about this, about like, man, what if, what if the world, what if E3 was full of, of soul singers who people walked out of these doors every week just singing the gospel like Aretha Franklin? Or like Mahalia Jackson. Maybe you guys don't know who those are. But trust me. They're the most amazing soul singers this country has ever seen. What if that was our role in the world? Soul singers. Mm. And here's the deal. If you've ever seen an amazing soul singer, you know that that person could sing happy birthday. And you'd be like, I wish it was my birthday. 
A soul singer has the ability to sing a word, a song that might be, you may have seen it, heard it a thousand times, and yet there's something about the way they sing it, and you go, I've never heard that before. I hear something that I've never heard before, and oh, man, I want to be a part of that. And what if the world was waiting for you to sing something where you just told the story of God in a way that appropriately revealed the brokenness but the healing that's been done in your life, and you were just like, this is who I am. Deal with it. Because God's story is beautiful. Well, what I want to do is kind of uh, give us a couple minutes to experience exactly what I was talking about. About a time when someone got up who's one of the most amazing soul singers that this country's ever seen and sung a song that you've heard a thousand times. And yet when it was all done, you're like, I just heard something new that I've never heard before. So let's roll this. Man, if... If Marvin Gaye was the president of a country, I think I would be like, let me take the citizenship test because I will sign up. Guys, the world is waiting for people to sing the song of God in a way that makes them hear things they've never heard before. We don't live out authenticity to feel better about ourselves. We don't live out authenticity to only have our hearts healed. We live out authenticity because that's what the world wants. That's what the world needs. Would you guys uh, pray with me? God, I, 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 I speak to myself in this, God, because... A, I'm very, very broken, and, uh, and, and B, I'm, I'm not very good at, at evangelism, God, but I want to live an authentic life, and I want to tell your story to the world in a way that people hear it. So God, I pray that as a member and a part of this community that you would help me learn from my brothers and sisters, and that together we would form a great choir singing out your song to the world. Amen. We're just going to sing this song to seal this time together. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow blessed be your name and blessed be your name when i'm found in the desert place though i walk through the wilderness blessed be your name blessing you pour out our Turn back to praise, and when the